0: From the Center for the Study and Teaching of Writing at the Ohio State University, this is Writer's Talk. I'm Doug Dangler. Today we have a two-part show for you with OSU students Aaron Riley Sanders and Allison Fetzer talking to author Elaine Wolf about her writing, and then OSU staff member Kevin Cordy will talk to Troy Hicks about how to write. That's all coming up next on Writer's Talk.
1: Welcome to Writer's Talk, Elaine Wolf. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you today, Erin. Your new book for teens, Camp, came out in June. Could you tell us a little bit about the book and your inspiration for it?
2: Absolutely. Camp is a story about bullying, family relationships, and the collateral damage of secret. It's a coming-of-age novel about a high school girl who faces bullying at summer camp as she begins to discover the truth about her mother, who holds a dark secret, there were many factors that led me to sit down and write camp. And as you well know, and I'm sure your listeners know, it's not that an author just sits down and writes a book. There's a lot of planning, a lot of writing, a lot of rewriting, rewriting, rewriting. Mm-hmm. But I'll be happy to tell you the confluence of factors that led me to write camp. The first one was that um, my mother, my mother died about 25 years ago and my mother was a German immigrant who lost family in the concentration camps. Although I miss her terribly, as I get older I'm increasingly angry and sad that I feel as if I never knew her because like so many survivors, she never looked back or if she did, she kept it very quiet so that she never talked about the past, she never talked about the impact of the war on her family and so in writing Cam, I wanted to show what it's like to grow up in a house where you're the child of an immigrant mother who really has a very secret past. So my mother's history and my mother's rather secretive nature played a big role in my coming to the story. The other major point was that my son went to a summer camp when he was a teenager. It was a wonderful summer camp. I don't mean to impugn sleepaway camps. In in my camp story, there are some wonderful camps. My son went to one. However, he had a rather scary experience when he was at camp. His counselors took the group of boys on an overnight trip, and according to my son, a teenager at the time, the counselors left the kids at the side of the road in the darkest night in the middle of nowhere, according to these teens, and the counselors took off to go party, go into town, whatever they did. And when I heard that story, it really made me think a lot about the people to whom we entrust the safety and well-being of our kids. You know, we send our kids off to summer camps, we send them to school, and we assume that the people who are responsible for their care are nurturing good people who will really have our children's welfare at heart. And most of the time, that is true, thank God. But sometimes it's not. And so what happened to my son at camp made me think about, as I said, the people to whom we entrust the safety of our children. And in my novel camp, there are some pretty poor caretakers of kids in that camp community. So it was my mother's story and my son's camp story that sort of merged. I myself was a camper for many years. And the truth is, although I wrote a very dark camp story, my own camping experience was light and joyful and wonderful. And my camping days were among the happiest days of my life. So people are always a bit amazed, those who know me and know of my love for Sleepaway Camp, they are amazed that I wrote this rather dark camp story.
1: Great. What is the most important message you want your readers to get from your book? I
2: would so love for mothers and daughters to read Camp together and then to talk, to really talk, because I think... When we know where we come from, when we really know who our parents are and what their stories are, I think it's easier for us to find out who we are and to know where we're going. I've always had a bit of a hole in my soul, for lack of a better phrase, that I didn't really know my mother's story. And so I I really think there, there are many things I want the readers to take away from camp. But one very important thing is that it's very important for mothers to share their stories with their daughters, to always be there for their daughters, um, and for daughters and, and sons, for all children, to feel that they have a very safe space with their parents, that they can tell their parents anything. You know, because you tell me that you've read Camp, that mm-hmm. in, in my novel Camp, Amy Becker, the protagonist, feels that she really can't tell her parents what's going on at Camp. And she, she hides the truth and she, she twists the truth because it's so important to her that her parents don't realize she has problems. She so wants her parents to be proud of her. And I think that's what we all want. So I think another takeaway of camp is a message for parents that it's so important to let our kids know that we love them unconditionally, that we're proud of them for the kind of people they are. And again, as I said, that it's so important for parents to talk to their children um, what I really want young readers to get out of camp and by young readers I mean readers ages 12 and up the book is really not appropriate for readers younger than age 12 but I want my readers to know that when they have problems not only is it okay to talk to a responsible adult But it's imperative to talk to a responsible adult, that kids have to know that when they have problems, they're not expected to be able to handle everything on their own, and that they need an adult in their corner at all times. Amy Becker in camp tried very hard to find adults who would listen to her, believe her, Help her, support her, and yet she was thwarted at every at every turn. And I know that that happens to kids in camps, in schools, and that makes me very sad. So I, I want kids to really find adults they trust adults with whom they're comfortable and tell the truth about what's going on in their lives. And I want parents to believe their kids and I want teachers to believe their kids and I want school administrators and camp directors to believe kids when kids come to them with problems. It's very easy for camp counselors and camp directors and teachers and school administrators, all of whom are so overworked, it's very easy for them just to to turn their backs on the victims and ignore the bullies because it's just easier. And I think we've made a lot of progress in the past few years in bringing attention to bullying. Bullying plays a very big role in camp as it does in my other book, Danny's Mom. So I really want adults and teens to read camp and to sit down and talk about it. I think what happens when you share books is just as important as reading the book, often more important. And I think, especially with books like Camp and my other novel, Danny's Mom, it's important to talk about those books and use them as springboards to conversations that will make a difference in our communities, that will keep our kids safer.
1: Excellent. In addition to a lot of the messages about uh, communication about problems with adults, we noticed that Camp addresses many positive messages about forgiveness, friendship, and self-confidence, how do you balance the line between providing an entertaining story and imparting good lessons?
2: That's actually a question that many people don't ask. So kudos to you for asking that. When I sit down to write a book, I don't sit down with a message in mind. It doesn't mean it's wrong to do that. You can ask a hundred authors how they write their books and you will get a hundred different answers. So I can only tell you what's true for me. So far, I've started every book and every short story with a character with a problem. And the whole book is about having the character figure out how to solve the problem if the problem is solvable, and if not, how to move on. So I didn't start by saying I'm going to write a book about bullying and forgiveness and family relationship and speaking out. I started out by writing a book that, in my mind as the writer, was a mother-daughter story. It was a relationship story, and I started with a character character. Amy Becker with the problem she's being sent to sleepaway camp against her wishes and the whole book the whole writing of the book for me became the character's journey to as I said either Resolve her problems or learn to move on despite her problems. The issues arose themselves as I create characters. And of course, like all writers, I try to create realistic characters. As I do, issues naturally present themselves because I set the novel camp in a girl's sleepaway camp. It was impossible not to write about bullying, even though I didn't start out to write a bullying novel. And because I knew that in addition to Amy not wanting to go to camp. And her other problem was her problem with her relationship with her very secretive, very harsh Germanic mother, and her incredibly close relationship with her developmentally challenged brother, Charlie. By creating those characters, the problems and the themes found themselves. So you pinpointed a few of the themes in camp, forgiveness and these family relationships, but there are really lots of themes in camp. And and again, I didn't start out by listing the themes I was writing about. The themes come out when you create good characters and you put them in interesting situations. So, for example, in camp, there's a theme about secret. And, I mean, we could do a whole hour's discussion about the theme of secrets in camp and how secrets poison us and close us off from intimacy. In camp, the mother, Sonia, the German immigrant, built an impenetrable wall around her in order to protect her secrets. And so... That's a very big theme in camp and her daughter, Amy Becker, the protagonist, is in fact quite like her mother. Amy has secrets too. Of course, we've already talked about the bullying theme, the mother-daughter relationship theme. There's a theme about the impact of war on current and future generations. How did Amy's mother's background as a survivor impact her relationship with her daughter? Uh, The mother's past really shadows the relationship camp. There's a theme about survivor guilt. So camp is a story with many layers. And as a reader, I'm an avid reader. As a reader, I love multi-layered stories. So I think it's natural for me to write them too.
1: You've told us a lot about how the sort of historical aspects of the storyline in the plot between Amy and her mother, we were really interested in the bullying that happens mostly maybe in the first half of the book. We noticed that there seems to be a strong link between sex and the instances of harassment in camp. Do you think that this has to do with Rory's reasons for being a bully, or do you think that there is something inherently linked between shame and sex and bullying?
2: I must say, Erin, I am not an anti-bullying expert, but I will tell you that for me as a writer, I, I put all the sex talk, and the sex play in there, in camp, intentionally, because yes, in my mind, that was very linked to Rory's background and created the the bullying acts aspects of Rory's character. Um, but I can't say for sure if there's always a link. I think frequently there is a link if you look at the the horrible 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 bullying suicides we now have a term for it bullicide if you think of of the victims of bullicide um, and you go back and you read their stories. There are many stories about kids who committed suicide following bullying incidents that did have sexual component. I know that, for instance, Phoebe Prince, who was 15 when she killed herself. There were all sorts of articles in the paper about how the bullying incidents related to Phoebe Prince were all almost always had a sexual link or a sexual overtone. There was perhaps jealousy of people who thought she was their boyfriend or flirting with their boyfriend. So so often I think there is some sexual overtone, but as I said, I'm, I'm not the expert on that, so I don't want to give you any information that I can't back up with facts. I can only tell you that in my book there was this intentional link Because before the Rory character came roaring onto the page, which is why I called her Rory, by the way, she was just roaring through my mind and I couldn't turn Mm -hmm. her voice off. When she came roaring through my mind, she came to me with a full history that included some sexual abuse. So I knew that there would be a lot of sexual overtone in the story.
1: Well, your book has so many fascinating different aspects to it. Um, Unfortunately, we are out of time here, but thank you so much, Elaine Wolf. Well, thank you
2: so much. It was lovely speaking with you, and I'm so glad you enjoyed camp.
1: We did. Thank you.
3: This is Dr. Kevin Cordy, and I'm pleased to have as a guest today, Dr. Troy Hicks. Dr. Troy Hicks is pretty much, from what you hear from others, a digital guru. (laughs) (laughs) That's very generous. Thanks. When it comes to using digital tools for literacy and writing, and what I know about Troy is he's always exploring new ways.
0: So, pretty much a student of digital literacy as well as a teacher of digital literacy right and the uh, father of digital natives so he's trying to stay one step ahead Troy has a number of books he co-authored digital writing matters
3: and it's an excellent book also the digital writing workshop and a new book coming out in april hot release crafting digital writing text across media and genres maybe we'll start here first of all why dive into digital uh, when it comes to
0: writing Well, part of the reason is that uh, digital is what writing is now. Uh, The National Writing Project for a few years now has had a website called Digital Is, and I think that it really encapsulates what we know about writing in all its forms, uh, whether it's a text message or a tweet, all the way up to a novel or even uh, something that's released in a multimedia format. Uh, Writing has always been about technology. And now with all the digital technology that we have, writing can take a whole number of different shapes and forms. And so digital really is what writing is all about.
3: And it's a matter of diving into knowing some of that. And some people that are listening are still using pen and pencil. Some are using iPads. You know, writing is definitely changing. One thing is that you mentioned the National Writing Project, and some might not be familiar. And that's actually how I know you, because we both serve as uh, writing uh, uh, directors, co-directors, and I serve the Ohio State University, and you're in Michigan. And one of the things that you look at is how digital has changed. And what about those people who, say, well, wait a minute. I don't want to use these digital tools. Uh, you know, I'm teaching. I know how I'm teaching. I can just do it the same way.
0: Well, I think that technology has always been mediating writing. So we know that whether it's a pencil or a pen or chalk or crayon, there's always some technology that's been a part of writing. Even if it's the digits on our hands, we use a number of different tools to write and compose. And so why explore digital tools in terms of blogs and wikis and Google Docs and digital stories? Well, I think that the simple argument is to say that this is what our kids are doing now and they're part of this new digital generation and 21st century literacies. And that's certainly part of it. We want to meet the kids where they're at and help them explore and be thoughtful about the ways that they present themselves in the world. The other thing is that it really is something that warrants uh, our time and attention. There's an element of craft that goes into this. We can very easily send a quick text message, but if we think about our spelling, you know, the phonemic awareness and what we're trying to say and who we're trying to say it to. Is it to a friend or family member? Is it to a wider audience? If it posts on a social network and we want to include other groups or communities and use a hashtag, you know, all of these things require craft and especially things when you get into audio and video and multimedia production. So if we help our young writers think about the craft, all the pieces that go into these different writing types of projects, then I think they're going to be smarter writers in the long run. I know that writing they often use the word composing now in, in regards to craft
3: and can you speak a little bit about how your um, impression of composing has changed since you've you know moved into the digital world
0: Right. Well, there are so many, um, you know, teachers and scholars that have been using that term composing now for a long time. And I think of Kathy Yancey, who was NCTE's president a few years ago and gave her keynote address and talked about composition in the 21st century. And I certainly think that number of elements can go into that. Of course, there's alphabetic text that we're used to uh, putting pencil to paper or pen to paper, or even fingers to keyboard. But then, of course, we can um, find images or even with the devices in our pockets, we can take Pictures and share them in a variety of different ways. So we can think about composing an image. We can think about composing a video in much the same way. What are the camera angles? What are the directions that we're going to go? And how are we going to frame the shot? Those types of things. When we think about websites and presentations, we're thinking about colors and fonts and background images versus clip art versus you know images that we've taken ourselves. And there are so many choices that writers have to make when they're composing digital text that I think is pretty exciting. One of one of the things that with the new book that you have is
3: you've got a wiki that uh, basically links to a number of things within the chapters of the book. And one of the things that I was looking at was 50 ways to tell a story uh, using digital. And as you know, I'm a professional storyteller, but I was just absolutely amazed at the various ways that we can tell using narrative. Could you speak to maybe one or two of those? Oh,
0: certainly. I think you're um, mentioning the link that I believe that's Alan Levine's link to his 50 ways to tell a digital story. So some of those links go to what we would probably classify as almost like movie making programs where students could import images, they could import Short video clips, put them together in a timeline, add some narration, add some sound effects, some music. So that's certainly one way that we can think about story, and certainly a way that's been, you know, popular in Hollywood for a number of years and also becomes easier and easier as we have the tools on our desktop computers and now even based in cloud based web services. The other thing I think of when I think of narrative though, too, is how do we introduce characters? How do we introduce a problem? How do we get to that arc of the story that has has the conflict and the resolution and things like that. And there are a number of other tools that are out there now. I'm comic creators, I make comic strips. You've got websites that will actually take text that you type into it and make little animated characters who will speak your words that you've typed in there. So as students think about um, the ways that they can represent narrative and story, I think they can do any number of these things. And then what gets really neat is when they can combine multiple things. Now you don't want it to be completely overwhelming and kind of distract from the point of the story, but they can do some things that are pretty creative, allow them to try out different technologies, but also tell their stories in new ways you talk about
3: genres within digital tools so would you say that each type of the genre has a different merit of evaluation and a different merit of how a teacher should work with them I'm specifically thinking about all the digital tools that are interactive that especially in the context of writing where a student can write another student can write you can respond mm-hmm. you can respond through an image you can respond through a sentence you can respond through an utterance this is something new but yet old at the same time could you you speak to maybe the different approaches that we should take with digital crafting
0: One of the things that I try to make a distinction is to think about genre, both about the mode. Each has certain characteristics, like an informational report generally has subheadings and so forth. A narrative has characters and plot and setting. Then there's also the media itself. You could record it in audio and it's a podcast. You could create a short video that becomes a digital story. You could only use frames and create a comic strip. And so what is the particular media that you're choosing? And then within that, media, what's the genre? Are you really trying to present a narrative piece? Do students have those choices? Those are things that teachers have to think about now, is that students have a lot of choices. Sometimes we want to give them wide range. Sometimes we want to narrow their focus. The genres are are multiplying. I know a teacher who does a multi-genre, multimedia project now. So building off that idea that Tom Romano um, started in the 90s about the multi-genre project, actually taking that and requiring these different forms of the media to be a part of it too a plug for
3: our writing project we do multi-genre multimodal you know right. we mm-hmm. give them the option together and you know it's uh, sometimes about letting go Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's a, you know, what can we do? What can we discover together? And you've, you've been having us read uh, things like Nicholas Carr and the shallows about how maybe this change in our thinking is detrimental or not detrimental, but working with craft, doesn't it change your thinking? And why would it be something that we would invite ourselves to,
0: to be engaged in? Whenever a writer thinks about being intentional, being deliberate about the way that he or she is crafting a message, what am I trying to say? How am I trying to say it? Then you layer that into this multimodality, In the sense of the multitasking, you're making all these decisions and each one of those little decisions has an impact on the, the overall effect of your writing. You can have all those other components speak for you. So one thing we could fool ourselves into saying is like, oh, just because we use an iPhone or just be because we use a computer, oh, we, we must be attentive to craft all the time. I, I don't think that's always necessarily true. <laughs> the media tries to
3: position us as, as though we speak in binaries. You're either pro-technology or against technology. And I think that they undermine the student's ability and they undermine the teacher's ability in code switching. You know, I think in Thomas Newkirk's Art of Slow Reading. There mm-hmm. is time to sit down and just read it deeply but it can be work with other genres that might be faster in tone or faster in pace uh as a teacher we have technological fear or phobia but you know i keep thinking aren't we an authority in our subject matter and maybe we should think about it from subject matter then technology Mm-hmm. But often it's technology. I can't do that. Could you speak a little bit to how we can alleviate some fear and see ourselves as professionals in the field of our
0: content, but use digital tools? And I'm working with a group of teachers. I'll kind of make a joke about, well, how many college degrees are in this room right now? And oh, uh, there you, go. <laughs> you know Reminding teachers that, uh, you know, you got here because you're smart, thoughtful, literate people and you understand what it means to be a citizen in the world. And so you know something about reading and writing and listening and speaking. And you can share that with youth, even if they know how to click all the buttons and pull up the websites and log in faster than you do. And so I think that is what we offer to kids. We have that perspective. We're really good at interpreting text. I think a lot of us do it, especially English teachers. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> but
3: students themselves aren't always tech savvy. Mm-hmm. And if they know how to use it, there's probably a hundred other ways to use it. Mm-hmm. But I've found that that they are tech ready. They're more eager. It's amazing when they say, well, you know, I couldn't get this done, so I put it on my phone, and I transferred it over to, you know, and in a million years, I wouldn't have thought of that. Right. But when do we open digital spaces? When do we have a traditional assignment, and our student walks up to us and says, well, could I do it this way and this way? And even though we don't understand what they're asking, why don't we let them?
0: I think part of it is just the nature of school, right? I hate to sound terribly negative. I think we get caught up in this notion that, well, it has to be this certain way and it has to you know meet the requirements for X content standards and Y test and this and that and whatever. They want to know exactly what the steps are and how to do this. And so, again, I think part of that comes back to school. Like we often are so accustomed to giving kids almost everything they need to complete a task. And then we get bored when we read the same paper a hundred times but um, part of it too is we just have to provide those opportunities to let them experiment say I bet you can do this go for it would you say that digital genre writing Mm -hmm. is
3: an authentic
0: way of
3: making a message
0: Yes, obviously. There are numerous cases where you've got kids who are able to, you know, create pieces, and you see this where, oh, it did go to this senator, or, oh, you know, it was written for this cause, or... A Facebook page with you know a heartfelt story on it was put up and suddenly you know this happened for this community I think that we don't want to um, create an illusion of that though I think that you know I remember watching Ralph Fletcher um, I believe it was a video I mean I've seen him speak at conferences and in these videos so I can't remember exactly which one but he talks about you know the best kind of feedback how can we use these digital tools to have kids talking with each other then you multiply that across the nation around the world. And the fact is that kids can tell each other some pretty interesting stories and also offer some pretty genuine feedback. So I really hope that teachers do invite their students to produce for that worldwide audience. Your book's coming
3: out in April. What's going to be in there? What are we going to find?
0: What I've tried to do with Crafting Digital Writing is say, here are all these um examples that are out there they're really rich you can watch them you know you can have your students go watch them they're right there for you to look at or see and then also here are the tools um you know so flip over click over to the other page there are links to all kinds of different resources um, that are mentioned in the book and that the students themselves have used that then the teachers who read the book can go out and try
3: try i've had the pleasure of being um Taught by you and working with you, and I hope that more people get that pleasure. So you'll have to let us know how they can find you. They can find me, Dr. Kevin Cordy, at my name, Kevin Cordy, c o r d i dot com, and I hope that they come and find out a little bit more about storytelling and story making. But if they want to find out about digital writing and and so much more, how are they going to find you?
0: Probably the easiest way would be to just do a search for Hicks Tro, H i c k s t r o. I have Hickstro.org, that's my blog. Hickstro.wikispaces.com is where I put a bunch of agendas, and it has a link to the the book's wiki that you were just mentioning on Twitter. That's my um, address, and also Gmail, too. So if you need to get a hold of me, try one of those spaces, and uh, I'm sure I'll be able to get back in touch. Troy, in the interest of
3: microtalk, (laughs) what would be a small little bit that you would remind people When it comes to digital tools and writing.
0: I go back to the um, idea of teach the writer, teach the writing, worry about the technology last. And don't be selfish about it. Share it, just like Troy Hicks.
3: From the Center for the Study of Teaching and Writing at The Ohio State University, this is Dr. Kevin Cordy with Troy Hicks. And at Writer's Talk, keep writing in both platforms, digital and included.
0: For more from Writer's Talk, visit www.writerstalk.org.